going to invite my friend Lisa up, uh, and she is going to do our Advent reading uh, for this week. We're in the season of Advent, and so we take extra time uh, to really focus in uh, on the coming of Jesus. So if we could welcome Lisa, that'd be amazing. Thousands of years ago, during the time the Old Testament was written, God spoke to his people through prophets. Prophets were people chosen by God to communicate truth about God, revealing his character and his love to his people. When Jesus was born, these prophets had been silent for more than 400 years. God's people had no freedom and were being ruled by Rome. The people were lost, oppressed, and lacked hope. But God's plan was to send his son to redeem the world. His plan was to bring hope, joy, peace, and love to the world. His plan was to demonstrate his love by sending his son to the world as a baby. At invitation, we will take time during the next several weeks in our gatherings to focus on the coming of Jesus to this needy world as a way to experience the Christmas season in a deeper way. We believe that Advent is the antidote to a hurried holiday. As a church family, let's take a slow walk to the manger together. The Greek word that appears in the New Testament that is translated hope is defined as confident expectation. Hope is a general term that is more a sense that you have than it is a tangible feeling. We use the word hope in a totally different context. We say things like, I hope my team wins this game, or I hope I pass my math test. There is uncertainty involved in that sort of hope. The hope that Jesus has brought to this world is confident expectation. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, once wrote, when September 11 happened and New Yorkers started to suffer, you heard two voices. You heard the conventional moralistic voices saying, when I see you suffer, it tells me about a judging God. You must not be living right, and so God is judging you. When they see suffering, they see a judgmental God. The secular voice said, when I see people suffer, suffering, I see God missing. When they see suffering, they see an absent, indifferent God. But when we see Jesus dying and suffering on the cross through an act of violence and injustice, what kind of God do we see then? A condemning God? No, we see a God of love paying for sin. Do we see a missing God? Absolutely not. We see a God who is not remote, but involved. You and I live in a world where there is darkness, suffering, pain, and confusion. Much of the time, God gets the blame for these things. But God sent Jesus into the world to bring hope in the middle of a dark world filled with suffering, pain, and confusion. Today we focus on hope and how God sent the gift of hope into the world with this one life. Luke 2 verses 1 through 21 says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her first son, and she wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough, because there was no room for them at the lodging place. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, a Savior, who is Messiah the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. 
This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Suddenly, there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying God, praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. When the eight days were complete for his circumcision, they named him Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. Pay special attention to verse 11. The titles for Jesus are profound. Don't miss them. In this verse, Jesus is called Savior and Christ the Lord. Today, we will look at the word Savior. This word means the one who rescues from danger. There are difficulties in this world. We live in a world of broken relationships and physical and spiritual pain. We live in a world where evil is present and prominent, but God has an ultimate plan for these things. Ultimately, God created us to live deeply in intimate relationship with him, but there was a fracture that broke the rhythm of that relationship. That fracture is sin. That fracture leaves us in this world of brokenness, but it does not leave us without hope because Jesus has come as the savior of this world. This season, we celebrate the coming of that hope. Let's pray. God of the seasons, God of the years, God of the ages, Alpha and Omega, before us and after us, God, you promise and we wait. We wait with eager longing. We wait amid doubt and anxiety. We wait with patience thin, and then we doubt and then we take life into our own hands. God, we wait because you are the one and the only. We wait for your peace and your mercy, for your justice and your good rule. God, give us your spirit that we may wait obediently and with discernment, caringly and without passivity, trustingly and without cynicism, honestly and without utopianism. God, grant that our wait may be appropriate to your coming, soon and very soon soon and not late, late but not too late. We wait while the world groans in eager longing. Amen. So today's message is, of course, inspired by Destiny's Child. For those of you who are big um, fans of that, it's Say My Name, right? So we're going to start with actually singing the song together. <laughs> I, I won't put you through that. But um, we know that names are important, correct? Have you ever been a part of something where you are a number? You're known by your student ID number or your social security number or your number in the line. And the other thing about names, um, I don't know if this is true for all of us, but I've found in my life, I have lots of different names. And those different names say something about my role, my relationship with people, my particular spot in maybe an organization or things like that. So I wanted to share some of the names I have. Um, most of you know me by this name. Or no, sorry, most of you don't know me by this name. The government knows me by this name, right? The bank knows me by this name. You know what I'm saying? Do any of you got one of those names? Most of you know me by this name, right? This is kind of my casual name, what I've been known as a kid. Anywhere I go, you go that. Some people know me by Mr. Hutchinson. It puts a different role into me. It puts a context to where I am 
kind of gives me an authority even though nobody really respects that. Um, some people have called me Pastor Richie. This is the one that makes me the most uncomfortable. I don't know why. I think some of it's my theological belief that everybody is a minister, everybody brings the gospel. Um, this is another name people know me by, Dick Bill, because my first name is Richard, Dick, and my middle name is William, Bill. Um, so if you, if you call me this, you're probably in your 30s, you probably met me when you were in fifth and sixth grade, and you probably went to Crystal Springs Camp. It's got a real kind of specific connotation and, and place and meaning to it. Some people know me by this, Hutch. All right, Hutch tends to be a few of my friends or cousins or people that are closer, and it's just got kind of a casual, we're in this together. Another level of casualness is some people know me by Hutchy. If you know me by Hutchy, you were probably a seventh grader at Whittier Middle School at some point, and so you know me by Hutchy. But I have even more, right? For instance, I have this one, Doughboy. Has nothing to do with the fact that I'm a little soft, Okay. This one, you probably went to Isabel High School in the late 90s, and you were probably sitting in a science class where somebody poked me in the belly and asked if it made me giggle. And then I had a name and it stuck. But I have this name too, White Chocolate. Yeah, that's my rapper name. All right, this one again probably goes back to if you were at Whittier Middle School, and when somebody put me into a drawing for a free lunch and put my name as white chocolate and told all about my rapper career. And I've just owned that. I've learned how to freestyle a little bit, and I jump in. And, and now even at George McGovern, kids know me a little bit by white chocolate. A lot of them are still searching Apple Music, and they come back to me and tell me they can't find my songs. I'm like, oh, God bless you for thinking I was telling you the truth. Um, I appreciate that. And, and then in time, names evolve too. This has become a new one for me. Mr. Butchinson. This one is usually dropped if you're super happy with me, okay? You can amp this up to another level of vulgar. I won't even tell you how to do that if you're really, really mad at me. So this one is if you're, if you're super mad at me, you can drop this. Or if you're one of my own kids and it makes you giggle, um, you can drop this. But we names mean something. They have something behind them. And today, um, and actually for the next few weeks, we're going to look at names, the names that were given by a prophet, and the prophet Isaiah. And we heard a little bit earlier the role of a prophet, and I want to tell you kind of how I see the role of a prophet. Prophets are people who come into a place, and um, they kind of tell you to get your poop in a group. They're very honest. They're very frank. They don't have enough time to make you feel good and make sure you come back and make sure you have warm, fuzzy feelings. And that's definitely who Isaiah is. So that's one part of who a prophet is, is to come in and say, this, this is not going well, people. What you're doing and what is happening here isn't working. Figure it out. Do something different. A prophet has that point to them, right? And then the other side a prophet has is they hold that, and at the exact same time, typically a prophet will give you a vision for the future. So, hey, we need to figure this out, and at the same time, this is what things could look like. They're not usually welcomed people. People don't like them showing up in their gatherings. People don't like them showing up at their house. People don't like them showing up and saying, hey, I'd like to talk to you about something. Because they have that rough edge where they're going to be very honest about where we're at and what's going on, and at the same time, give us a little bit of a future. So I want to look at context today. We're going to actually be working, oh, you're on the right slide, sorry. I said context, but this is the right one. Um, 
We're going to be working from Isaiah 9, but I want to read the last verse of Isaiah 8, and then I'm going to provide a little bit of context so we know what this prophet was speaking to, what Isaiah was speaking to. I'll be honest with you, it's a little confusing to know exactly where Isaiah was speaking at this time because Isaiah was a prophet who outlasted several leaders. So we don't know what time, but I will tell you that the context will, will give you some truth of what it felt like and maybe the general ideas that Isaiah was speaking to. So this is how the last verse of 8 ends up. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. Do you see why Isaiah gets invited to a lot of dinner parties? He's just being honest with Israel at this time. And actually, um, you can't even say Israel because the nation was two kingdoms. And the northern nation was called Israel. And the southern nation at this time was called Judah. But he's just being really honest with them. This is a dark time. You can look around and you can try to rosy it up. But everywhere you look, you're only going to see darkness and fearful gloom. And you will be thrust into utter darkness. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there with a group of people? Uh, Maybe you're there right now. Where you just look around and you're like, I I got nothing. I feel like there's no hope. I, I feel like everywhere I look, like there's, there's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. This, this is the moment for uh, this, this group of people. Let's take a look at the context. I want to share actually the historical context of this. If you can see, there's kind of the yellow mustard color and the blue color. Um, if you remember, when the people leave Egypt, there's this point on Mount Sinai where God commissions them to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They're going to be this group of people who are priests who mediate for the divine and who are set apart to do something of value and of purpose in the world. Um, And he didn't say you will be holy nations. He said you'll be a holy nation. At this time, they're actually split. Could you imagine living in a country that's split? Could you imagine living in a country where people had certain beliefs about how the things were supposed to be governed that they just wouldn't even talk to each other? I mean, can you imagine? Could you imagine being a part of a nation like this? Well, that happened here, and so you have a northern kingdom, it's called Israel. You have a southern kingdom, it's called Judah. Isaiah actually is a prophet to both nations at times, but right now when we're um, during this particular part we're looking at, He is speaking to the leader of the southern kingdom of Judah. A couple things here that are going on, we think, when this prophecy happens. First of all, if you see Israel, and then if you go up a little farther, kind of to the right there, you'll see Syria. And then if you go up a little farther to that, you'll see Assyria, okay? Here's what's going on. Judah is worried because Israel and Syria or that Damascus area, I think it's kingdom of Damascus here, are working together, and Judah is afraid that they're going to come and invade them. So Judah, their leader gets smart and says, but you know who's tougher than them? Assyria. So he goes and pays them money, a blood ransom to say, How about you just come down and take over Syria and take over Israel? Then I have nothing to be afraid of. 
Now, Isaiah warned this leader about that, saying, you, you gotta, you're worrying about stuff that you don't need to be worrying about. This is not the right path. But the leader of Judah decided to do that anyways, and Assyria said, no problem. We'll go ahead and take over Syria. We'll go ahead and take over Israel. And while we're at it, let's just take over you too. Ah, oh, dark time. Now, if you look where Judah is too, if you look to the right, or to the east, or if you look down, none of those nations are big fans of Judah either. No matter where they look, they're worried. It seems like they got no hope of moving forward. It seems like the whole world's going to collapse down on them and change. So this is the world that the prophet Isaiah comes into. Um, like we said, Ahaz hires Assyria, and Assyria keeps on rolling. So let's go to the next um, verse. Now, the interesting thing is we read at the end of 8, right? Nothing but gloom, nothing but darkness. 9 starts with this word, but. So if you have your Bible, if you could uh, go ahead and open it to um, chapter 9. It's really important that you bring your Bible every week. Um, and I only say that because um, I was sitting back here and I remembered that I forgot my Bible, so I had to ask Brock if I could use his. <laughs> so if you didn't bring your Bible, you're my people. You're good. That's the way to go. But nine starts with this word, but, or um, some, of the, some of the translations, nevertheless. So this is that part where the prophet is kind of doing a pivot. He's been honest with Judah. It's dark. It's bad. You, you guys have made some really bad decisions. Some of them weren't even your bad decisions, their circumstances. And now when he says, but or nevertheless, he's pivoting and he's providing some hope in the middle of it. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 7 from chapter 9. I want you to listen to them and I want you to hear the contrast that you hear even from that one verse in chapter 8 that Isaiah um, prophesies here. He says, but there will be no gloom for who, who was in anguish? In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divided the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle, in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. 
So in the middle of these hard times, in the middle of darkness, Isaiah offers some hope. Let's look at some of it. He says, but darkness can turn to light, right? Just keep flying through them here. We'll multiply the nation. That's this idea of success because your population's growing. Increase in gladness. Somehow it's dark now, but you can, you can increase this gladness and you can move forward in a different way. You'll be glad in, your, in the presence of people. You'll divide the spoil, meaning you'll have enough. You'll have what you need. You'll break the yoke of their burden. I mean, imagine carrying something on your shoulders, carrying something around. Um, break the yoke of their burden. You're going to break the staff. The staff is kind of, if you know a shepherd, it's what you hit the sheep with <laughs> to get them into shape. So this enemy or this thing that's hovering, that'll be broken. The rod will be broken. Um, and bloody blankets burned, right? So like this war and this fighting that will go on, like it'll be done and you won't even need the warrior's boots and you won't need the bloody blankets anymore. So we'll put them in the fire and we'll burn them, which is not only like, hey, they're going to disappear, but they're going to provide something of value, some warmth, something good. So in the middle of this darkness and gloom, Isaiah is very honest with them. And I would just ask us, I wonder what we need to be honest about today. I'm going to be truthful with you. I, some of you know me. I'm a political junkie. I love politics. Um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm like the guy that like cries, like a tear comes down my eye when you're at the country music concert and they have the soldier like walk across the stage for 20 seconds, right? Like, like I'm that guy. And yet I look around our nation and I look around the way we're discussing things and the way we're talking about things and the way we're treating each other and a focus on winning, and a focus on being right, and um, it makes me sad. It, it makes me nervous about our country. It makes me nervous um, about who we are. Um, and I'll, I'm, I'm going to just leave it at that. It, it makes me nervous, but I, I still have a belief that somehow we can do things differently and we can do things um, better, but I also realize too, like we have some things upon us right now that we don't have a ton of control over. Right? Life is different because we're sitting in a pandemic. It's different. Thanksgiving was different for some of us. How we socialize is different for some of us. And to run around and to be Pollyannic about it and act like it's no big deal, like hey, just just believe and you shall achieve. I, you can't do that, right? Like, you've got to start with the fact that this is different. This is difficult. This is unique. Um, but the bigger reality of it is, is we all probably personally sit in bigger challenges than the ones I just mentioned. Maybe it revolves around our work or our health. Maybe it revolves around our family relationships. Maybe it revolves around the perception of us. Maybe it's things that are a little bit out of our control, like depression and chemical things like that. Um, but I would just ask, have you ever sat in darkness? And what I would say in this moment right now is to just name it. It's okay. You don't have to pretend like it doesn't exist. And at the same time, can you say nevertheless or but? And can you put some hope out there in front of you? So next slide, please. So I want to talk a little bit about hope. Because I do think in 9, what Isaiah is offering is the hope piece. And we spoke a little bit about hope here. I didn't know that was going to happen, but that's great and a good fit. Um, I believe hope is actually a skill. 
I believe hope is actually something you can practice. I believe hope is not a feeling. It's a skill. And I believe hope has three parts to it I put up here, and the longer I was thinking about it, I was, I'm going to add a part to it. All right? Um, so, I believe hope has four parts to it. One is a frustration of some sort or a dissatisfaction of some sort. To be, the par- first part of the skill of hope is to say I'm dissatisfied and to name it and to recognize it. The other thing that hope has to it is a vision. A vision is that you can see a different future. You can see and you can dream and you can contextualize You can visualize something different than where you are right now. But it's more than just saying, I'm frustrated and I have a dream of something different. Hope has a pathway. There's a way to get there. There's a way to move towards it. And so if we're truly going to have hope, if we're truly going to use that skill, we have to move from just seeing something different to saying, what are the steps How can I organize my life? How can we organize our lives to get there? And then finally, you have to have autonomy. Autonomy means that you have the skills or you believe you have the power to do it. All right, do you see why hope could be incredibly personal? I have to give up hope on playing in the NBA people. All right, I have the vision, trust me, and I know how I'm going to spend the money. I've got to be honest with you, I lack a pathway and I lack autonomy. It's, it's just not going to happen for me. But there are things within my world that are much more meaningful that I can be honest with where I am right now, be honest about the surroundings, and I can see a vision for a different future. I can begin to make a pathway for it, and I have the power within me to do something about it. And what I love about Isaiah 9 right here is I saw all of those things. In 8, he mentioned and he was honest about what they were dissatisfied about. In 9, he gives a vision, right? He keeps talking about like light will come in. No longer are we going to be fighting and having wars. Instead, we're going to burn those blankets. The staff's going to be broken. He has a vision for it. He has a pathway for it. In the pathway, if you go to the very end there in verse 7, he says we're going to do it with justice and we're going to do it with righteousness. Justice in the Old Testament, believe it or not, is about leveling the scales. It's not the criminal justice justice we have. It's about making sure that you redistribute things and that it works for everybody. So really what Isaiah is saying here is we're going to have to discuss about how we organize things. So justice in our own life is about organizing things. Justice in our life together is about organizing things. How do we set things up to work so that it works well and so that it can get us there? The other pathway was righteousness. And righteousness here is not about being right. It's not about being the smartest. This is the getting it right righteousness. This is the living the right way. The living into something that is, that, that is correct and that is good. And so that's the pathway. And the autonomy is this. It's coming in a king. It's coming in a person. Now, this prophecy is used for Jesus, but really that's kind of like a retroactive prophecy. In the moment, Isaiah is really talking about a king. 
It's either Ahaz or this other young king who became the leader at two. Imagine that. <laughs> imagine President of the United States, toddler. Well, not hard to imagine all the time anymore these days, right? Like we got all kinds of individuals acting in all kinds of ways. But imagine a two-year-old. So, but the autonomy was like, look, you will have a ruler or a person, somebody in control that can help you organize yourselves in a way. And I would say in our own lives, look, you have some autonomy. You have some control. You have some decisions. You have some ability to do righteousness, to do justice, to decide what the vision is. Next slide. So, before we move any further, and then I'm going to get to the name we're talking about today, just a little bit about Advent and a little bit about Christmas. First of all, we don't actually know Jesus' birthday. The early church didn't care about Jesus' birthday. It cared about Easter. All right? We, and most likely, if we were going to historically figure out his birthday, we should be doing Christmas in March. Hate to break it to you there. So why are we doing Christmas now? Next bullet, please. Because of the winter solstice. That's why Christmas is when Christmas is now. Christmas, when it first had dates, wasn't a set date on December 25th. What we did is we recognized that there were pagans and pagan holidays all around us that celebrated the winter solstice. And Christmas used to be on that day, the winter solstice, which, by the way, is the darkest day of the year, right? The least amount of sunlight in there. And it's the day of the year that we start to get more light, hope, vision, entering in. And um, it's about the fact that we've sat in darkness for a few months. It's getting darker and darker and darker, and now it's going to move to light. And I would say this. This is what I love about Christmas happening on the winter, winter solstice. Light starts and enters during the darkest moment of the year. Isn't that true for us too? During the absolute darkest moment, that's when things shift. During the absolute darkest moment, that's when the prophet steps in. That's when hope steps in. And so with that, I want to go into today's title, which is from Isaiah 9, 6. For us, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. That's what we want to talk about today. The prophet says this individual will step into this very dark moment and it'll start to get better. And that individual shall be called wonderful counselor. A couple things about wonderful counselor. Let's look at the words. Next slide. First, wonderful. Wonderful comes from a Hebrew word, pale, which means miracle, marvel, or uncomprehensible. We cannot find this word as an adjective, which is interesting because we translate it wonderful like an adjective, um, we, we can only find it and typically find it as a noun, that it's its own thing. So in other words, if you would look in Exodus, who is like you, Adonai, doing pale, doing wonderful, doing astonishing, doing incomprehensible, doing wow, wow, whoa, doing whoa, who are you doing wow? You see where it's going there? The other part of the word, counselor. Let's take a look at that. Counselor, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. It's like 
Kanyo Aitz is wise, smart, or advice. Typically, it's somebody who would talk to kings or rulers and, give the, and they were wise, smart. It's really more of an idea of like who you are and what kind of things are coming your way. And so I'm going to make a proposal here today, next slide, to actually change the Bible. And actually, if you read some translations, they would change it. I'm going to make a proposal today that in this verse, instead of having a wonderful counselor entering into a time of darkness and giving us hope, that we have wonder, counselor, entering into a time of darkness. So when it's a darkest moment, when it doesn't seem like it can get any worse, not a wonderful counselor, but what first enters is wonder. Wow. Whoa. What could be? It's a dream. It's a vision. It's a thought. It's a teaching. It's a poem. It's a TV show. It's a movie. It's a conversation with a friend that makes you go, wow. Whoa. Didn't think about that. Holy cow, our family can play games? Wow. We don't have to run all over the place? Cool. It's just this aha moment, this wowness of what could be, so that the name of this person, this hope that enters the world first, it's wonder. And then sec second, it is counselor. It is some wise advisor that sits with you and helps you see wisdom, and helps you see wise action. Next slide. So, when we think about that, when we think about wonder, counselor, entering into the darkest, gloomiest moment and saying there's going to be light, we're going to get rid of the soldier's boots, we're going to get rid of the blankets. I got some questions for you. See, I'm a firm believer in counseling whether it's getting coached or going to a professional counselor or things like that, because if you've ever been to counseling, here was my experience, is I went and I sat down, and that counselor never told me anything super-duper wise. What that counselor did do, this is where they were wise advisors, is they asked me questions, and they asked me to tell stories, and when I was doing it, I would all of a sudden go, whoa! I had these like, wow, these wonder moments, right, that I was coming to. And then as they were asking me questions and asking me thoughts, I was hearing my own thinking, and all of a sudden I was getting this counsel because I was developing some hope because I was getting a pathway because I was reorganizing what I was now going to do in my life, how I was going to move forward. And so when I think about the prophet and when I think about Jesus and when I think about what Christmas is, which is God entering into the world, when God enters into the world, how can we not have wonderful, aha, uh -huh, and how can we not have wise counsel? It's impossible to me. And so if we as our people who organize ourselves around the way of Jesus, around the life of Jesus, around the teachings of Jesus, we have to be people, I think, that ask these kinds of questions. Number one, where is it dark in your world? Can you name it? Can you be honest about it? 
Can you let the prophet step in and speak up and say, miss the boat on this. This is not good. This is causing pain. This isn't going to go well for you. And then the second thing, where is their hope? Where do you have a vision for something different, a pathway to get there, and you actually have the autonomy to do it? Because if the wonderful counselor is here, it's calling us towards that. And then finally, how can you invite wonder counselor into the darkness? Do you need to finally schedule with a professional counselor and bring them into the darkness? Is there a person, a professional in your life, somebody you just respect that you need to call up or text and say, hey, do you got time for physically distanced coffee Tuesday, 6.30 a.m. so I can make it to work? Is there a class you need to take? Is there a teacher you need to sit under? Is there something you need to come in that provides wonderful and provides wisdom and provides counseling? Last thing I'm going to leave you with, I'm going to only read some of these. I only wrote down 30 of them. I've heard there's over 100 of them. The interesting thing is this prophecy eventually goes back to Jesus being wonderful counselor. The wonderful counselor, however you want to do it. And the interesting thing, if you follow Jesus' life, is it seems like he shows up and he asks questions that make people go, whoa, or are you kidding me? Or I've never thought about that. And he seems to give people teachings and pathways forward. Let's just read a few of the 30 that I wrote down. These are things Jesus asked. What is unusual about you? Can you add a single moment by worrying? Why are you anxious about clothes? Why do you notice the splinter in your brother's eye and miss the plank in your own eye? Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Who do you say I am? Who do others say I am? If you are not trustworthy of worldly wealth, who will trust you with true wealth? What good is it to forfeit your whole soul and gain the whole world? I think when we think about Jesus and when we think about wonderful counselor, we think about having somebody, something, step into our lives and create an awe, creating well, and at the same time helping us with wise counsel moving forward. So I'm going to just give us like 15 seconds of silence. And what I want you to do is I want you to start with the first part of the prophet, which is, where's the darkness? What's the darkness we sit in, you sit in right now? Just think about that for 15 seconds here. Brock, could you put up the last slide? I'd like you to just read this verse along with me to end today. 
the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Sure, there's some darkness, but how are you going to get some wonderful and how are you going to get some counsel in the middle of it? How are you going to get some awe or wow or I never thought about that? And how are you going to get some steps and some plan and some forward um, action? I encourage you today, call a professional counselor, seek a wise friend, tell somebody, read something, do something to move it forward. Because today we're starting to celebrate darkness, our light entering the darkness. That's what Christmas is about. That's what Jesus is about. And if we're going to be a people that really believe in the Christ or in Jesus, we need to organize our lives around that. And so when you think about that darkness, how is God going to pierce it? What light are you going to put into it? Because the light overcomes the darkness, right? And the darkness will never, ever overcome that. Uh, Dave, are we doing one more song? So come on up and may you stand as I give you this benediction. May you receive this benediction. May you discover and live wonderful counselor. May you have hope. May you see your dissatisfaction. May you have a vision and may you find a pathway and discover the autonomy to get there. Go in grace and peace.